Welcome to Team Luke for Minds Podcast. On this show, our mission is to help families just like yours. We'll bring you inspiring stories from brain injury survivors, advice from health professionals, and much more to help make the recovery journey a little easier. If you or anyone you know has a, suffered from a brain injury, this show is for you. Welcome to the Team Luke Hope for Minds podcast. Through education and support, we are devoted to helping children recover from brain injuries. The vision of this podcast is to provide hope and support through the personal stories provided by brain injury survivors and their families, as well as offering guidance from professionals who treat children and adults with brain injuries. Every brain injury is different, and our hosts, Julia and Austin, both bring their personal experiences and desire to help others to this podcast. Well, hi there, Julia. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Thank you for having me. No problem. So, I I hear you're the sister of someone who had a um, brain injury, so um, you want to share that with us today? Yes, um, so I am the older sister of Alex Herman. Um, so just kind of talking about a little bit of the timeline of his, his injury and stuff. Um, essentially his injury, he received his injury on August 26, 2014. Um, he was nine years old at the time and uh, Alex was actually, it was his second day of school, um, his first day at soccer practice. Um, we had our grandmother in town visiting. Her birthday was the next day, and so she actually was getting ready, getting my brother ready for practice and such before then. And um, at practice, um, my brother was struck by a rogue bolt of lightning from probably about eight to ten miles away. We're not exactly sure, but it was for sure between that range. We had no warning of a storm coming, and we can't really tell exactly where the lightning struck him. Um, but our presumptions and just the different things that our doctors told us make it seem that it was either his stomach or the back of his head. So when the lightning struck, it was about 20 feet from a group of parents that were talking to one of the coaches. They were waiting for practice to begin. Um, just kind of the normal things. If you're, if you're a parent and you take your kids to soccer or baseball practice or anything like that, you usually talk to the other parents and the kids are usually just playing nearby waiting for practice to get ready. So they were kicking a ball around, cleats on, everything. And when the lightning struck, there were actually two other kids around Alex. Um, so they all fell over. Um, however, the two next to Alex got up right away, but Alex was still laying like face down in the grass. Um, so of course, a bunch of parents ran over to him because everyone was a little bit disoriented. I mean, it was a, this loud crash of lightning that just came down. Um, and I was actually back at home. I had just gotten off the school bus from my uh, first day of sophomore year in high school. Um, so when my mom called me, I was just completely on the ground. I didn't even know how to react. Um, but going back to Alex a bit, his heart actually stopped three separate times. Um, he was not able to breathe for periods of 10 to 20 minutes at a time, which resulted in this anoxic brain injury that he suffered. Um, his cleats were blown off his feet and it was just, there was literally smoke coming off of his body. Um, just as if you had burnt, like, you know, a piece of paper or something like that. 
So my parents started CPR with him. Um, thankfully, we had had a great young coach who ran over and started helping us out with CPR just as we were waiting for star flight paramedics to come in um, via helicopter. And after that, we brought him to Dell Children's in Austin. Um, but however, he had to be transferred that same night to Dallas. Um, just because of weather conditions, they couldn't take him anywhere else as the storm had already kind of started piling on by the night. And uh, he was unfortunately in unstable condition the whole time that he was being flown to Dallas. And uh, so he was in Dallas for about three weeks. Um, they had to airlift him back after that, but pretty much the majority of that time was him being kind of swaying in and out of a stable and an unstable position. And uh, it was just really, really terrifying. Um, our neurologist really gave us little to no hope there. Um, you know, there was a flock of nurses and other staff at the hospital just running back and forth out of our room all day long in the trauma center there in Dallas. And uh, I myself was actually between Austin and Dallas just trying to get through my sophomore year of high school. You know, I had great support from teachers and other students and such, but I mean, there was only really so much that I could do trying to balance between two cities that were, you know, three hours drive away from each other and my parents um, being away, of course. So finally, after that three week period, Alex returned back to Austin. They, again, he was not well enough for them to be able to bring him by ambulance. So they had to star flight him back into Austin, um, where he proceeded to have a skin graft surgery, a heart ablation surgery, and a G-tube um, installed for feeding. So through that time, he received a lot of inpatient rehabilitation um, we were pretty much in and out with pretty much every department of the hospital that you could imagine, every kind of staff member that was available, um, just kind of talking through and figuring out what we could do for Alex because he was really in such a poor condition that it seemed miraculous if we could get anything out of him at all. But thankfully, four months later, he was, you know, he was still, he still had his G-tube in and he was still really pulling through. but. He wanted to be back home so badly. He actually he talked a bunch about, I want to go see Spice. I want to go see Spice, which is our, our dog. And so he was really, really just eager to be back home. So thankfully, a few days before Christmas, we were able to bring him back home. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much the narrative of just his time in the hospital because there was so much that happened after that. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah. So what other complications did he have? So when he was initially brought to the hospital, there was a whole slew of things. Um, second degree burns was the first one that we noticed, of course. His legs were black and blue and there were just burn marks all over his body. We were really thankful that there weren't like long stream third degree burns or something like that. Um, but that was still something that was a huge um, kind of a medical obstruction in a sense because, you know, burn injuries are very painful to the patient and even when he was out of his coma, he was still dealing with a lot of the pain of that um, as he was going through treatments. So after that, we also learned that most of Alex's organs were failing at the time of the injury. Um, his kidneys failed, his liver failed. Um, he went into SVT, which is short for supraventricular tachycardia which is essentially a form of cardiac arrest, which is why we required the heart ablation surgery later on. Um, his heart rate would 
soar up to like 250 or something like that, just completely unfathomable heights. And uh, we needed to go, he needed to have some kind of surgery because he would keep going into cardiac arrest whenever a stressful situation came up or whenever we switched medications. It was just really something that we battled with throughout all of this. And it made doing surgeries very risky as well because we never knew when he was going to come in and out of that state. So we really wanted to be very, he was in a very fragile state is what I'm trying to say. Um, he actually still to this day has singe marks on the back of his head. Um, and the main overlying injury that went around all of this is the fact that he had an anoxic brain injury to the watersheds of his brain. Dang, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, not only to have a brain injury, but then also for your other organs to be on the verge of failing. Like, that's yeah. crazy. So, when and, you know, what happened in your first memory of Alex actually uh, responding? Yeah, uh, this is actually a story I really like to share because um, it was just, it was really touching to me and it was something, it was great that it was a moment that we shared as siblings um, because even before the injury, we were always super close. I mean, like, there, I mean, we were really close to siblings even before the injury, and I think this just brought us even closer in ways that I didn't even know was possible. Um, but Alex had guitar lessons before his injury. He was really getting into playing the guitar. We took him to this place nearby, and he was learning how to play an electric guitar because he was so adamant about it. He was like, I'm going to learn how to, play. I'm going to be a rock star, you know? So um, I brought my iPod in, my old iPod, and I played Smoke on the Water for him, which is the song that he was learning at the time with his guitar teacher before the injury. And it was just such a, such a revolutionary moment in a way because that was the first time that we saw him like react to something because he had this big smile on his face and we didn't even know that his face was able to move in that way. So the fact that he was like smiling and completely like acknowledging the song and I was kind of like singing along after a little bit and we were having fun, you know, and it was just really, really great. So after that, we tried a couple of other stimulating things perhaps for him with uh, the, the nurses suggested doing some other stimulating activities for him. So we brought in some of his favorite like video games and we put on the music from them. Um, we brought d even the theme songs for a different TV shows that he liked to watch. Um, and we kept playing these sounds and like bringing, he had even had like little action figures from some of these video games. We brought those for him and his, you know, he can like move his hand around it, feel it with his fingers and stuff. He was definitely like engaging with what he was holding. Um, and so at this point I decided to start a Facebook page to kind of share his story and share his progress because we had a lot of people in our neighborhood and in our community actually that were very like interested in this story. Um, we hadn't really had anything like that happen in terms of a lightning injury. And Alex was a very, he was, you know, he was in Boy Scouts before and he was getting into baseball too and stuff. So there was just a lot of things that he was doing before his injury. So this was really just a stopping factor kind of for him. Smoke on the Water is a fantastic song. <laughs> yes, yes, he loves it to this day. Does he still play guitar? Uh, yeah, he actually has gotten back into it a bit. Um, we did lessons for, with him for a while, but we're working on some of that uh, spasticity that he's got in his hands, trying to get some of that dexterity back um, so he can really get back into rocking and rolling. <laughs> and can you explain to me what spasticity is? So spasticity is kind of, uh, imagine it as like a hypertension of the muscles. Um, 
when you're trying to extend your hands or use them to your full capacity, they get limited and kind of slowed down as if you had kind of glue between your muscles and limbs and stuff. So it has slowed down his movements and his hands and his ability to even pick up things. Um, but it's something that we're working through with physical therapists, occupational therapists, and all the like. It's awesome. Yeah. So what does what does your daily look like daily life look like now and has it changed tremendously i can't think of a single thing that really hasn't changed in my life since alex's injury um and it's it's hard because you know he's pretty much like my best friend um aside from just being my brother and so seeing him go through some of these difficulties just every day in his life makes me want to reach out and help him as much as i can but Practically everything has changed. Um, everything has kind of slowed down in a sense and become twice as difficult. Um, it's kind of living your life in this weird slow motion state where everything else around you is going twice the speed it normally would be and you're just slowed down. I mean, even things like brushing his teeth is a challenge, getting dressed for the day is tough, um, Going outside to play with other kids is really difficult for him as well because he really does want to be able to do all of these things autonomously and we're getting closer to it every day. But it's still just difficult. Even the fact that our house isn't um, handicap accessible. We live in a two-story home. It's not easy for him to get around and we've really had a hard time finding accommodations that work for you know a 13 now 13-year-old kid is just something that we've dealt with a ton. Um, another thing too is we have to wake up pretty early in the morning during the week and we often are driving you know, two to four hours a day either sitting in traffic, going to other parts of Austin or going you know, elsewhere in Texas just to make it to his various appointments and to find these resources is a whole art of its own. We're constantly looking for new methods, therapies and places of treatment for Alex to kind of pursue something different. And we have to put a lot of trust into other people's suggestions for him because unfortunately, you know, we stay up till midnight almost every day just even looking online, just Googling different therapies like what about this place? What about that place? And it's almost this active ongoing learning process that just never can stop. And just as, as an older sister now, um, having finished up my first year at college, I find it difficult because I... Thankfully, I go to UT Austin, so I'm pretty close, but um, it's hard finding that time and coming back and forth from college often. It limits my social time, you know, but at the same time, it's, you know, your family is really everything when it comes down to it. So to me, the value of spending time with him is so much more important than whatever I may be doing on those weekends sometimes, because I know it's tough for him to go out and even make new friends. I mean, he's got a physical limitation of going out and doing that himself. Even when he wants to go outside and play with the kids down the street, he needs someone to help him into this kind of cart that we got for him. And, you know, he needs someone monitoring him too since we kind of live in a hilly neighborhood and he doesn't, you know, he's only got his arms right now to move with. So he's got to use his arms to pedal on this thing, this bike that he's got. And it's just really, really tough for him. And I think the last thing is just the perceptions of other people when it comes to brain injuries. Not many people have direct experiences with such a severe form of a brain injury. And so it's hard to explain to people that really when you get out of a coma, you can't just walk it off. You need to relearn to talk 
eat, read, care for yourself. And these are ongoing processes that can go on for multiple years. And I remember when we brought Alex home from the hospital, we kind of had this moment where we took him upstairs and he was sitting on the couch in our media room and we were just kind of all sitting there and we had this look on our faces like, now what? He couldn't even tie his shoes or really write his own name when we brought him back from the hospital. So he's come a long way, no doubt, but there's still a lot more to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, so like you were saying earlier, how college now is more difficult, um, you're having to face other peers and like their misconceptions about the injury and whatnot. What's kept you fighting? So personally, I think that what's kept me fighting is just seeing how much Alex's story meant to others and the support they were giving me in return. I think that, you know, going through this, I was, my original perception was, this is just going to ruin everything. You know, I, it was hard to hold a positive outlook. And I really realized like as an older sister, it was my responsibility to do that. But at the same time, seeing other people being out there and saying, you know, I've been through something like you have or saying, you know, I might have not been there, but I want to sympathize with you. I want to care for you and your family. Um, Alex inspires me. That's the biggest one that kind of kept me going is if I knew that Alex was an inspiration to others, like so many have been for me, I just have to keep on fighting for him. And really, when he was in the hospital, I was constantly thinking about just wanting the simple things back with my brother in my life. You know, I, I missed being able to stay up late playing video games together. I missed going to the movies together on a Friday evening when I was finally done with my week, my busy week during high school. Um, you know, I missed even like going on road trips with him. You know, there's so many more complications to doing that. And I always thought of our family road trips we would go on together. And it was just the simple little things like that that kind of pushed me where I was like, we can have those things back again, but I have to work hard, be a good supportive role model, and keep pushing for these things so that he can bring them back into his life. That's, that's, you moved me right there. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to say to that. Um, yeah, just, I guess just keep fighting and trying to make headway. Yeah. Um, so what tips do you have for TBI patients and also the loved ones? Um, so I actually talked to my parents about this question because I, you know, I wanted to see kind of what their input was on this as well. But from my personal experience, I think that the biggest thing is engaging with others. Um, I think like a lot of times the parents kind of feel like it's their child, so they have to be fully responsible for every single thing that comes down to resources and knowledge, but there are so many other people that are going through something like that. And there, obviously there are groups like Team Luke Hope for Minds, which we got connected with, I think now two or three years ago. And they've been unbelievably good at helping us engage with other families, helping us learn from other people. And even online forums, online Facebook pages, just reaching out and talking to other families is probably one of the biggest things that you can do if you're dealing with a TBI or any kind of other brain injury. However, um, coming down to it, our biggest challenge, per sorry, coming down to it, our biggest challenge personally was finding resources. We needed groups like Team Luke Hope for Minds to help us out with connecting us with resources. Um, we go to their monthly support group. 
that they host and talk to the other families in there. And there's just a certain atmosphere that's always in that room that is beyond empowering. And it's something that really has rubbed off well on us. And the need to collaborate and work with other families through injuries is something that most people don't think of as well. Usually when you think of an injury, you might the first thing that might come to your mind is a broken arm or a broken leg. And you don't really think of, you think of, okay, well, I go to the doctor and get a cast on it and I just wait for it to heal. Three months and you're out. Right, exactly. You don't really think about it being a collaborative process you know medicine and healing isn't often seen in that way but with brain injuries i really believe that the need to rely on others is something that's very prominent in that and prominent in finding resources too it's not enough to just first go to the hospital because it almost always happens that when you come back home you're just at a, in this lost situation where you don't have resources and when you have a relative that's in that situation, like with Alex, you run out of hours in the day to really find time to go and pursue that knowledge yourself. You wake up in the morning, you're driving around. Sometimes Alex isn't back from therapy until 5 or 6 p.m. and he leaves at 8 or 9 in the morning. So he's literally in the car or working out in some way or another for the entire day. And by the time we're back home, you know, he... He wants dinner, he wants to just go and turn on some show on YouTube or something like that, and he's just exhausted. And we are too, so it's hard to even find the time to go and look for those resources. Um, my last really big tip for TBI patients and their loved ones is to understand the injuries inside and out and take specific action on those. A lot of the times, um, it's easy to be grouped into like a spinal cord injury, a brain injury, this kind of injury, that kind of injury. And sure, it's good to know what overlapping category you're in, but engage with your doctors too and try to figure out what specifically it is. Because the more specific that you're able to be with what kind of injuries you're dealing with, the more specific resources you can find. Um, the better I feel like your breadth of information becomes. And uh, it's just a lot easier um, all in all to be able to figure out what's going on if you're very, very familiarized with the kind of injuries you're dealing with. Yes, I agree with that completely. That's why earlier I was asking you like what spasticity was. Because yes. I remember when I was in the hospital, like no one could explain it to me. Like they could, but they couldn't get the right words. And like I, could, I still didn't understand them then. I finally got the right answer from my doctor, but anyways, that's why I was asking you. Completely. I mean, with Alex having a lightning injury, I mean, we, we did a Google search even. I remember doing a Google search on just doctors or researchers that had dealt with lightning strike injuries, and there were so few of them just because it's such a, it's such a rarity, you know? It's such a rarity that even in the English language we have saying sayings like it's a one in a million chance or you're more likely to get struck by lightning than that happening right everyone's familiar or has heard someone say those things before so when that one in a million or one in 10 million odd actually happens even doctors don't seem to know what to do with it and it's it's not their fault it's not nurses fault I mean it's really a rare situation and uh, it just shows us that again the intricacies of the injury are what it comes down to when it comes to recovery, not just what it is overall. Definitely. I, I, I've met Alex actually before and he's he's getting there. He's doing 
very well. He's yes. slowly improving. He's, what, two years out now? Well, let's see. He was, I, I want to say, actually almost four now. Oh. Yeah, okay, almost four. Off. So, no, that's all right. I think it's been almost four years now. But, I mean, he's he is able to communicate with us. He retained, actually, an alarmingly large amount of his previous memories. And he does have difficulty creating new memories. He has, actually, when he reads, he has a lot of things that are similar to what dyslexics might experience while reading with the letters kind of jumping and moving on the page as you look at them. Um, but we've tried a couple things just at home. Like he really likes playing on lum Lumosity games. Uh, that's something that he just has a lot of fun doing. And just being able to make it kind of fun and engaging. Cause I mean, he's, he's a 13 year old kid still. I mean, he wants to have fun. He wants to have those experiences that all his friends at school are having. And just being able to do that for him, too, is just as important as healing him, I think. Definitely. Yeah. 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 I, I honestly, like, you know, I had a traumatic brain injury, but, like, I was 18 when it happened. I wasn't 13. Like, I, I can't even imagine what, what it's like going through that at that age. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine it myself, you know. When I was nine, I was never... I could never picture myself as a nine-year-old having to bear that kind of burden and those kind of injuries on myself. Um, you know, nevertheless, having to go back and forth between doctors, go being in a coma for three weeks, that's just unfathomable to me. All right, thank you so much for having me on the show today, Austin. And just to wrap up, um, we hope that you enjoyed and learned something new from our podcast today. Brain injuries are life-changing, and healing efforts come from the patient, their families, and the professionals that help them every day. If you missed one of our previous podcasts, please visit TeamLukeHopeForMindsPodcast.org. We offer peer-to-peer -peer support through our monthly support group, as well as insight and resources to patients and their families. If you'd like to learn more about our mission, please visit TeamLukeHopeForMinds.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Team Luke Hope for Minds podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website, teamlukehopeforminds.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. See you all next time.